followers of Jesus are called to love, forgive, and humbly serve one another. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Got a question for you folks. Uh, Does your life ever feel like that right there? Life ever feel that way uh, for you? You know, sometimes life can feel like a roller coaster ride, can it? With ups and downs, forwards, backwards, loops and fast and slow, eager anticipation, dread, but thrills. I always remember when I was uh, a little bit younger, like, oh, maybe Jacob's age there, I uh, used to go with some friends. We'd always like to go to uh, Six Flags there in, in Gurney and ride the roller coasters there. And, uh, you know, as much as I loved doing that, I hated it at the same time. And eventually you get to a point where you realize, you know what, I'm too old to be getting thrown around and knocked around like this anymore. I don't enjoy this anymore. But, you know, that here was the thing about that roller coaster ride. And that was, there was, in the one sense, there was that, that, that dread of that click, 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 click. So how many know what I'm talking about, right? As that coaster is climbing up and up and click. Click. And even though you know it's going to be fun, there's just that dread like, why am I doing this? I hate this, right? Click, 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 click. And then you go over the top, wham! And of course, it's fun, you know, after that. But that dreaded anticipation then. But you know, sometimes life can feel a little like that, can it? And maybe you're wondering, well, what does that have to do with our message today? Well, In our sermon series, which has been a a harmony of the Gospels, we are closing in today on those final days and up to that last night, that last night of Jesus' earthly ministry before he went to the cross. And the story of that final night was a little bit like that, like an emotional roller coaster. You know, on the part of the disciples, there was, at once there was confidence, but then there was also fear. There was joy, and yet there was bitter sorrow, trouble. There was camaraderie among them, and yet there was bitter rivalry too. There was gentle assurance, but also stinging rebuke. There was eager anticipation, but also shocking revelations. And all of that in the space of just a few hours. So we're continuing here then today in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels of putting together the the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are following that order of events as seen Uh, In this book, One Perfect Life by John MacArthur. And so for today, then, as we are moving into that final night here, calling this message Setting the Time, Setting the Table, and Setting the Tone. Setting the Time, Jesus' time has come. Setting the Table, the Passover meal, and Setting the Tone. How then ought we to live and think on these things? So you wonder, okay, well, what's the big idea? What's the main idea that I want us to take away from the message here today? Well, it is this, that followers of Jesus are called to love, 
forgive, and humbly serve one another. We're called to love, forgive, and humbly serve one another. Before we look at our text here, a little context. As I said, we are in the final days of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had presented himself to the nation of Israel as their promised Messiah. And while there were some who believed in him, they really did not fully understand the nature of his mission, including even his own disciples. The leadership of the nation had rejected Jesus, and they thought him to be a blasphemer and a false teacher, because how could he, being a man, make himself out to be God? They had been actively plotting against Jesus, because they saw him as a threat to the nation, and also, though, to their own positions of power and influence. And so, they were looking for a way to be rid of him once and for all. But they knew they must be careful because many of the people were enthralled by Jesus. And they thought he just might be the one to usher in the kingdom as they understood it. It was the time of the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And Jews from all over the nation and the world had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was a celebration of events when God set his people Israel free from the oppression of slavery in Egypt some 1,400 years earlier. And many wondered, could this be the time when God would set his people free from the yoke of Roman oppression? Could this Jesus be the Messiah, the one who they hoped would set them free from Rome? Well, I want you to know that we're going to be reading through a whirlwind of Scripture today. It might feel a little bit like that roller coaster ride here for us. And as such, some of my comments will be necessarily brief. But I pray, though, that as always, that you would ask God to speak to your heart today through the reading of his word. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, as we progress into this final night of the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts as we read and reflect upon these stunning events. May we hear what your Spirit is communicating to us through your word. May we learn what you want us to learn, believe what you want us to believe, and to obey what you are commanding to us today. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. All right. Scripture tells us, And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. But at night, he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. 
So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him to them. And Judas said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And when they heard it, they were glad and agreed to give him money. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity for how he might conveniently betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So first, we're setting the time, setting the time. You know, at different points in Jesus' earthly ministry, he would remark that it was not yet his time. His time had not come. The hour had not come. And at places we see the biblical text would make this, this statement that it was not yet his time, meaning that it was not yet the time for when he would be delivered up to the cross. The time for his sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the grave was all well-planned from the beginning. And he was operating on a divine timetable, and his mission would be fulfilled exactly when it was time to be fulfilled. It was no coincidence that Jesus would die at 3 o'clock in the afternoon of the Passover. Now, his time had come. And part of the divine plan involved betrayal. Betrayal on the part of one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas never was a true disciple of Jesus. It seems he had a materialistic motive in following Jesus. And when he saw that the kingdom Jesus spoke of was quite different from what he eagerly anticipated. He sought an opportunity to betray Jesus and to get what he could for him. In this case, 30 pieces of silver, the going rate for a slave on the market. Satan himself entered Judas and drove him to the betrayal here and also on the night of the Last Supper. So while Judas would later bitterly regret his actions, he never repented and turned to faith in Christ. And Jesus called him the son of perdition, the son of hell, the lost one. Now the religious rulers, they wanted to arrest Jesus when he was away from the crowds because they feared what might happen if he was arrested publicly. No doubt, They wanted to crucify Jesus after the Passover when there would not be so many people there who might support Jesus. But God had other plans, and Jesus would indeed be crucified during the Passover because he was the Lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. We're told then, then came the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they killed the Passover lamb. And he sent out two of his disciples, Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. And so they said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare, that you may eat the Passover? And he said to them, Behold, go into the city, and when you have entered the city, a certain man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. And wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, My time 
is at hand. Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples at your house? Then he will show you a large, furnished upper room. There, make ready for us. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening, when the hour had come, he came and sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the time has been set, and now the table has been set. You know, after a Passover lamb was sacrificed at the temple and some of its blood sprinkled on the altar, a family representative would take the lamb home and roast it for their meal that evening. And the Passover meal consisted of that roasted lamb, of unleavened bread, some bitter herbs, wine, and a paste that was made of crushed apples and dates, pomegranates, and nuts. And bread would be dipped in the paste and shared with one another. Now, Jesus had already made arrangements for a place where he and the disciples would eat the Passover meal, a guest lodging that we have come to call the upper room. And he sovereignly directed Peter and John to the place and instructed them to make instructions for the Passover, to make preparations for the Passover meal. So Jesus earnestly desired to eat this meal with them in order to prepare them for all that lay ahead. Told now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that phrase. He loved them to the end, ultimately and completely all the way. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just like Peter, isn't it? And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not all of you. 
for he knew who would betray him. And therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Setting the tone. First part of that tone is service and that attitude of humble service. You know, a person would take a bath to get all clean. Now, maybe not so much. Now we take showers, right? Any bath takers? Do we have any bath takers in there? Okay, there's usually some. Most of we take a shower, right? So you take a shower, you take a bath, and you get all clean from that. Well, they would do that. They would get all clean. But inevitably, though, what? Your feet would get dirty again as you would travel the dusty roads in your sandals. So when entering a home, a servant or the lowest ranking member of a family would wash people's feet. And so now here they were gathered in this upper room, all with dirty feet from those dusty roads. But none of the disciples offered to wash anyone's feet, though. Why? Because they were all too busy arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so Jesus set an example for them and for us. We see in him the tone of a servant. Now, he is, of course, the ultimate example of a humble servant, isn't he? And his service extended all of the way to the cross. But while Jesus' example of a humble servant heart is certainly in full-on display here. I think there is something else going on in this passage, though, which I believe is often overlooked. So we see a tone of service, but we also see a tone of cleansing. Cleansing or forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, we are called to follow Jesus' example of humble service, yes. 
But I think there is something else here. Part of that following that example is to cleanse or to forgive, to forgive one another. How so, you ask? How do you see that there? Well, we see that in what Jesus says to Peter when he objects to having Jesus wash his feet. Peter says what? You shall never wash my feet. He didn't want Jesus to do that for him, but he said, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Now, obviously, he's not talking about physical dirt there, is he? Talking about the cleansing from sin. And Jesus says what? He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are all clean, but not, you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and that is why he said, you are not all clean. Well, I think one biblical commentator summarizes this perfectly when he says this. He says, Jesus' act of washing the disciples' feet illustrated their spiritual cleansing. Jesus is the one who forgives Peter, and the rest had experienced the full cleansing of salvation. And they did not need to be bathed again in the spiritual sense. You know, salvation is a one-time act of justification by faith. And what follows is the lifelong process of sanctification, a daily washing away of the stain of sin. And as we walk through the world, some of the world's spiritual filth will cling to us. And that needs to be washed away, forgiven by Christ. Peter and the other disciples, all except Judas, who never belonged to Christ, needed only this minor cleansing. So when we come to Christ for salvation, he condescends to wash our sins away, and we can be sure that his forgiveness is permanent and complete. But just as a bathed person needed to wash his feet periodically, we need periodic cleansing from the effects of living in the flesh in a sin-cursed world. This is sanctification done by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us through the washing of water by the word given to equip us for every good work. But further, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he told them and us, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. As his followers, we are to emulate him, serving one another in lowliness of heart and mind, seeking to build one another, one another up in humility and love. But part of that humble service is to forgive one another. When we seek the preeminence, neglect to serve others, or refuse to forgive, we displease the Lord. True greatness in his kingdom is attained by those with a servant's heart. And they will be greatly missed, blessed. You know, um, yes, that was uh, an example of humble service that Jesus gives us there. But I think there's more to it. Washing dirty feet symbolically represents forgiving one another of our sins. And those men in that room needed the forgiveness of Jesus, but they needed the forgiveness of one another. So sometimes when we wash another's feet, it doesn't just mean we humbly serve. It means we forgive. 
So when Jesus had said these things, as they sat and ate, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. And they began to question among themselves, which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him one by one, Lord, is it I? And another said, is it I? Jesus answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish, to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And it was night. See this roller coaster ride. Betrayal. Shocking statement. Can you imagine how shocking that must have been for them to hear? That one of them would betray Jesus. Did you notice how no one immediately pointed the finger at Judas? Jesus said, one of you, they didn't all say, oh, I bet it's Judas, right? You know, I've had my suspicions about that guy. No. <laughs> no one thought him any more than any of the others. Now, I think to their credit somewhat, I will say this. Each one of them wondered if he might be the one. If you were there, might you have wondered that? I wonder what Judas thought when Jesus said that, that one of you will betray me. He knew he was busted, didn't he? You know. And Peter, being Peter, says, Peter's probably down a little further away at the table, and says, John, he's right next to John, John. Says he motioned to him. And I think I, I would see that. Can you imagine? It's like, so he did. And Jesus said it would be the one to whom he gave the bread after he dipped it in the dish. Now, this was nothing unusual about dipping bread in a dish and giving it to someone. This was part of the meal. And that just kind of went right past him. 
Because they still weren't, they weren't expect, they weren't suspecting him. He gave the bread to Judas, and then he said, what you do, do quickly. But no one comprehended, what, what does that mean? Well, maybe, you know, Judas, he was the treasurer of the group. He had the money box, so that tells you what. He was, he was well-trusted. Do you give the money to somebody you don't trust? They said, oh, well, I guess maybe he meant to go buy some things we need, or, or maybe, you know, oftentimes at Passover there'd be a, 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 a gift to the poor. Maybe he said, go, go, go give a gift. Maybe that's what he was talking about. They didn't know. Satan enters Judas. And he went out immediately, and we're told, and it was night. Physical night, yes, it was. But I don't think that's, that comes from John's gospel. I don't think John was commenting on what the time of day was. It was what? It was spiritual when that happened. Here comes the roller coaster ride again. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. There they are again. Had they learned anything? Had they heard any of this? In all fairness, how many times have we heard something and we know something and did we really learn it? Did we really hear it? So here they are disputing. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see that roller coaster ride, betrayal, and now once again rivalry, arguing and disputing. The disciples had not learned the lesson of the foot washing at all, had they? No. But of course, all of us, we always learn our lessons so quickly, though, don't we? Do you want to be great in the kingdom? Do you want to be great in God's eyes? Then follow Christ's example and serve. So when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples 
if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you shall follow me afterward. Where was he going? To his death. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. Then he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, enough, it's enough. See, service, cleansing, forgiveness, betrayal, rivalry, love. It says, a new commandment, love one another. As I loved you, that you also love one another. What is new? Well, the command to love is not new, is it? But what is new? It's a new standard for that love. It is ultimate love. It is love as Christ has loved us. And it is a love which must be, would be, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that takes a lifetime to learn. Anybody still learning what it means to love one another as Christ has loved us? I'm still working on that one. But what does Jesus say? When we love one another like that, the world will what? The world will know that we are truly his disciples when we love one another like that. And when we don't, what does the world know? Love. But then here's that roller coaster ride again. Shocking denial. Not only would he be betrayed by one of them, but Peter, their leader among the disciples, he would deny Christ not once, not twice, but three times that night, even before the morning. He would deny that he even knows him. Another deep dive on the roller coaster. Peter, the leader among them, would deny even knowing Christ before morning, three times. 
Nevertheless, he would return to Christ and he would strengthen his brothers. And you might wonder, what's that last part about knapsacks and swords and all that? It's saying this, even though all that would happen, Peter and all of them, they would all fulfill their mission to go as messengers of Christ and proclaim the gospel. They had been faithful in that before, in proclaiming that message. They would be faithful once again in that, the roller coaster. (laughs) Finally, and as they were eating, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Assuredly, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Remembrance. Here, Jesus transformed that Passover meal, which commemorated God's rescue of his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt to a memorial celebration of him and his sacrifice. The bread represents Christ's body, which was given for us. The wine is the shed blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. And it is a sacred Remembrance, his freely given body and his freely shed blood would rescue his people from the bondage of slavery to sin and death. And at this moment, Jesus declares the fulfillment of a promise in Jeremiah that God would establish a new covenant, a new arrangement with his people, a once for all perfect cleansing and redemption, the shed blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. So what? What should I do with this message here today? What are we to take away from all of this? Well, I would say followers of Jesus are called to love, forgive, and humbly serve one another. Love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. A whole new standard. I can't do it. You can't either. But it's the Holy Spirit within who empowers us to do precisely that. And it is most definitely a process, a lifelong process, isn't it? But that's the command. Love one another. Forgive one another. 
And so when Jesus told us to wash one another's feet, I know there are churches that have made that an ordinance where they would uh, actually wash one another's feet, and that's okay. How many think we should start that up here? What do you think? Should we do that? Should we start washing one another's feet? Well, we may not literally, physically do that, but we most definitely ought wash one another's feet. In the sense of humbly serving one another? Absolutely. But also in the sense, I believe, what? Of extending forgiveness to one another. We wash one another's feet means we forgive them. We're agents of cleansing in their life by forgiving them. And we serve. We serve one another. We don't lord it over like the rulers of the Gentiles, but we serve one another. If Jesus, there is no greater person in the universe than God, is there? And if the Son of God served, what does that say for you and me? Better do it. I like it. You better do it. That's right. But finally then, remember. Remember the one who loved, who forgave, and who served. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself that he, for a time, put aside all of that glory and honor and praise that was justly due him as the Son of God. And he humbled himself by coming into this world, being made one of us, taking on human flesh, humbly serving, a servant who is obedient, Obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Lord, we thank you that he perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law of God for us. That he willingly went to that cross where he took upon himself the judgment or the punishment for our sins. That he endured through that. Paid that price that we might be justified, that we might be declared righteous in your sight. He said, it is finished. He dismissed his spirit. He died. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day that we might follow him by faith. And we put our trust in him, this servant who loved, who forgave, who served ultimately to the end. Through him is perfect righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection of the body, All of this received by faith in him. Lord, you've called us to follow his example. May we learn and grow in what it means to love one another as he loved us. May we forgive one another. Lord, maybe there's someone who's really struggling with that right now. There's a brother or a sister, perhaps even in this room, who's hurt them or wounded them. Lord, teach us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And Lord, show us how to serve. Yes, we serve by forgiving, by extending that forgiveness, but there's so many other ways, Lord, we can serve. We can wash one another's feet. Show us, Lord, how to do that. And we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.